We're back. Regionals are done. 16 teams remain in the NCAA tournament. The postseason rolls right along, and it is not a sad post-regionals episode here on the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. We are virtual today for the entire show because we are dealing with the, I guess, post-regionals hangover a little bit. I'm a little uh, lacking a voice, and you've got a little cough, head cold situation. So everything's fine, but we're we're doing the show from our respective homes. How are you, Tom? Oh, doing okay. Yeah, dealing with the uh, the post regional crud. I know if you heard the broadcast this past week, you may have noticed a few coughs here and there from me, and that was it hit right before the very first pitch of the first game. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> yeah, and here we go. So, uh, but doing doing fine. But we're just we're going to be separate for today, and we'll just go ahead and knock it on out. That's right. There is still so much to cover. We couldn't skip the show. No, just my because gosh. no, we're look, even if we can barely speak, we will speak about everything that we saw this weekend. Here's your trip around the bases. We'll start at the plate. Look at the Tuscaloosa regional, including Jayla Torrance, our queen Jayla Torrance. Yes. I mean, look, the court is getting bigger. We've got the people's queen, and then we've got the newly elected queen. That's not how it works. But no. either way, Jayla deserves a crown. Yeah, that's absolutely. What a performance by her and uh, gives a whole new uh, set of things to think about moving forward because it's not all about whether or not Montana Fouts can come back and, and be at her 100%. It's can Jayla and Salty kind of duplicate those performances again in even big in an even bigger situation against Northwestern this past this coming up weekend. Then we'll advance to first, and Jen Schroeder is here. Last time, Tom, Jim was on the show. Oh boy, we got Ooh. we had some articles written about her comments about Oklahoma, which were checks notes. They won't have the greatest offense of all time. You know, maybe we've got some more takes to to drop. We'll see. Re- always ready for a Jen Schroeder hot take or two to be dropped when she's on, and I know she. Watched everything that happened this past weekend, and, and we'll have some really good insights. And then we will give our own insights as we steal second look at the left side of the bracket. Rounding third, we'll pick out the right side, discuss some of those regionals, and get ready for supers. And then we will head home and make our supers picks. Let's try that again because some of us have lost World Series teams. <laughs> yes, and among many other things, the gray curse remains strong. At this point, if you want me to pick your rival to do well, my Venmo is. <laughs> I, I like seriously, I am the jinx is so strong, Tom. My powers have never Ooh. been this prophetic. Just know that you are never allowed to pick Alabama to win the national championship. Never. To the level I remember in 2019 when we were shamed by Mrs. Dykes and we were never allowed to pick Alabama to even win a series. Uh, and then now I went on that run. It's kind of that same way now, but just with you and your national championship picks. Yes. Mine's still alive, by the way. Yes, indeed. I went way out on the limb. All right, let's talk about the Tuscaloosa Regional. Alabama, who oh boy, all of Sunday was difficult. A first game against Middle Tennessee, the Blue Raiders won 4-1. to one. The if-necessary game, Alabama, nothing is happening for six innings. And then in the bottom of the sixth, after the leadoff for Middle Tennessee reaches uh, and a strikeout of Laura Miller, which more on that in a bit, I'm sure. Allie Shipman, a perfect throw to Kenley Cahalen, 
to catch Eccles stealing at second. Right after that, a base hit that meant nothing. And then in the seventh, Allie Shipman with the solo home run to left, a, a video clip that if you want to see it, check out at Outerbox underscore pod for the radio call, a wonderful radio call from my partner, Tom. At this point in the postseason, there are a lot of things to examine from the weekend for sure, but it's not how you win, it's that you win. And Alabama found a way to win, and they did it without Montana Fouts ever having to step into the circle, which, as we talked about last week, was the ideal scenario. To quote the uh, of the off-the-wall drop that we'll play later on, stop complaining when we win. There's you, there, you can never complain about a postseason win in any form or fashion. There's obviously, like you said, there's going to be some things that Alabama will need to work on and will have to improve on for Super Regional play. Uh, but I, I would say Miss, uh, Middle Tennessee made it hard. To Middle Tennessee – played outstanding they, they were as as hot as any team that, that you would face in this part of the season they played a little bit over their heads but were able to uh, to give Alabama everything that, that that tide wanted the fact that Alabama went through the Tuscaloosa regional and never even had to play Central Arkansas who who was picked to win the regional by a lot of people because Middle Tennessee not only against Alabama but against Central Arkansas was playing really well as well tip of the cap to the Blue Raiders and and the fight that they brought uh, but Alabama found a way. We had so many in that last game, in the championship game, there were so many flyouts that just fell just short of of the wall. I thought I went into the home run call several times throughout that game, thinking that, all right, this one's out of here, and then it would be caught right on the warning track. But Allie Shipman finally got one, and she put it on a laser and got it out of there right past her buddies too. And it was a, it was a great moment in Alabama softball history. I took a peek at the GoPro of the Emma Broadfoot one that was a foot shy. And when the I looks on our pin. faces, <laughs> yes. are, are, we, we are so sure that that is out. Yeah. And then, yes, like you said, you threw your pin, and I, I don't even know how to describe my facial expression. <laughs> there have been games this year where it seems like it, you know, just, just things, won't, it, it just wasn't going to happen. And that's something that Alabama has been able to kind of change as the season's gone on and it's been a growth of team 27 you know Allie's home run second time in three weeks that Alabama has hit a home run in the seventh inning to take the lead in a game that they were losing or either tied or losing um miss at Ole Miss on Saturday and the last weekend of the regular season Jenna Johnson's home run and then Allie's here there and it, and there were so many chances for that to happen earlier on in the season and Alabama wasn't able to come through but that has just shown the the growth of this team that they put in that situation here in the biggest spot all year long. And the tide came through. Something that we were talking about last night at dinner, this is a team. And we've mentioned this on the pod before that that's just getting better and they're still getting better. And this weekend, there was again, a lot to examine. I think offensively, there were a couple of, adjustments that didn't work and so you've got to try other adjustments i think if they're not working and maybe that's something that we'll see this weekend but the the improvement since march since april since three weeks ago i mean it's it's very visible and this unit this squad this team is so together that i continue to just be around them and think i whether they're playing well or not they're going to find a way yeah, I I think you can probably point to the series at against Auburn here in Tuscaloosa that was maybe a, a turning point in that mentality 
because Auburn came in, took two or three from Alabama, and it would have been very easy at that point for the team just to kind of, you know, fold the tents, play out the string, and, you know, try again in 2024. But it seemed as though that kind of galvanized the team a little bit more of saying, all right, we, we know we have the ability and we have the opportunity here, but we now have seen where we have to make these adjustments and make these improvements, and they've done it moving forward. And then that, and then even the, you know, Montana's injury has seemed to kind of even galvanize the team even more around her. And then, you know, to inspire performances like Jayla had this past weekend. Yeah, that's a perfect transition into talking truly about Jayla. And we never would have found out about this Jayla if the current situation didn't exist. Now you've got a scenario where, look, I know nothing official, but if Montana was available on Sunday, my assumption is that she won't be less available this weekend than she was this past weekend, if that makes sense. So with Montana Fouts potentially on the table and a newfound Jayla Torrance who's pitching with more confidence than she has throughout her entire career, Alex Salter, who's always capable of being somebody that can come in and get big outs for you. And I think overall a pitching staff that truly believes that they can do it without Montana kind of being there to save the day. All of a sudden, this seems like a much more cohesive group of options for Alabama this upcoming weekend against Northwestern. Yeah, I I would say maybe in February or March, that leadoff single in the sixth inning, that would have been a pitching change right away. But Patrick Murphy felt confident as, as well as Jayla was throwing to let her kind of get out of there in the sixth and even come back out in the seventh. It would even have been a situation, even if she'd got through the sixth, you know, we'll bring in Montana for the seventh inning with the one-run lead, but you didn't feel the necessity to risk putting Montana out there with Jayla pitching the way that she was. And, man, she she was just on another level. No runs. Again, no zero. Zero yes. runs allowed in the regional. And I know people might be saying, this is Middle Tennessee and Long Island. Well, Middle Tennessee, check the stats. First in pretty much every category in Conference USA, which was, I think, the sixth or seventh best conference in the country, one of the best in the mid-majors. This is a good team, Middle Tennessee, and a very good offense. And Jayla Torrance gave them nothing. I mean, a couple base hits here and there, but no Blue Raider runners ever touched third base on Sunday, which was so impressive. To do it in that situation, just so so impressive to watch what she was able to do. And and you're you're right. It's a team that Middle Tennessee, not a top 25 team, but they were playing like a top 25 team. And that's all that matters when you get into postseason play. And you got to play who's in front of you. And and Middle Tennessee was uh, pitching and fielding as well as anyone. But Alabama remains undefeated when their pitchers allow zero runs. And, you know, that was... Yeah, at some point the offense is going to come through because something else. Alabama's never been shut out this this season. Uh, you knew at some point the offense was going to come through, so the the pitching just had to keep the Blue Raiders at bay, and they were able to do that. Yeah, I think people talked enough about Alabama's offensive issues and not realize that Alabama is one of not many teams who have not been shut out this year. Of the sixteen supers teams, there are three who have not been shut out this year: Oklahoma. Texas and Alabama. And now am I saying Alabama's offense is as consistent or potent as Texas and Oklahoma? No, but they find ways to score runs 
And to win games, you do have to score runs. And so if you don't get shut out, you're always going to give yourself a chance. Right. Alabama, the, you know, the way the team is made up, it may not always be the prettiest way to win a game. But as I said, you can't complain about any postseason victory. That's for sure. Right. I mean, like I said, at the end of the broadcast, like this is a team that will make you fall in love with them. They will thrill you. They will excite you. They will frustrate you. And then they will do something that will make you fall in love with them even more. And I think that Sunday was the perfect encapsulation of that. Absolutely. Because there was certainly some frustrations uh, that during game number one, the frustrations were very high uh, on Sunday. And then for a lot of the time in game number two, frustrations were high, but it wasn't because of a lack of effort that the frustrations were there. It was just where that they weren't able the the runs weren't scoring. You weren't able to execute it's not even the right words. It's not it's not it wasn't it just wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. But luckily it wasn't happening for Middle Tennessee. And Alabama, as we talked about I think in the broadcast too, eventually the fact that Alabama has more talent than Middle Tennessee is going to come through. That's why it's so hard for a team like Middle Tennessee even if you force the if necessary game to finish it off because that that regional host, that seeded team does have more talent and it's going to eventually come through. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's the sixth inning in Seattle be, or the seventh inning in Seattle when you score seven runs. But that's, you know, that's another thing. Hey, you're getting a little bit ahead of yourself there. Partner. Sorry. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> a couple other highlights from the weekend. I want to make sure that we mentioned Kristen White continues to be so good Keep her in the nine spot. Let her turn the lineup over. I love what I'm seeing from her. And I think her future is so bright. And also Callie Hevelin. Uh, swinging with confidence. She believes that she can get the hit. And the evidence is showing that she can in these games. I believe in Callie. You believe in Callie. And now Callie believes in Callie. And I think that when, when she is swinging with that self-belief, there is a difference. And we saw that this weekend for sure. Yeah, I thought both of them uh, hit the ball really well. We talked to Coach Murphy in one of the pregame interviews about Callie in particular, and he he said that you know this is basically this is the Callie that we knew was in there. It just it's like the team itself, Team Twenty Seven. It's just had a little bit longer of a long, of a runway to get to the takeoff spot when she kind of was able to uh, have the light switch flip on. That you know it, it takes a little bit something extra each level of competition you go through she has really turned it on here in the last month or so and and i think the fact that she is toward the bottom of the order too is helping not only her it's helping the entire offense uh, a couple I guess, I guess it's a negative but it could also kind of be a positive alabama did score 19 runs with basically the top two spots in the order doing nothing hits wise this weekend i by my math Spots one and two were two for 24 in regional play, which is very, very abnormal for Jenna Johnson, Larissa Pruitt, and in one game, Kenley Kahalen. Uh, so yay that the offense was still able to produce beyond those spots in the lineup, especially with Kristen White and Callie Hevelin getting on like they were. But at the same time, now that we're getting to the, all right, everybody is truly really good portion of the season, you're going to have to get a little bit more from spots one and two. Yeah, for sure. I think, and you mentioned those three players. No matter where they're hitting in the lineup, you're gonna need a little bit more from all three of those. You know, Jen, Jenna had she had the the nagging leg injury the, and then the uh, and the quad or the thigh that kind of kept her out from uh, game number one against LIU. Uh, so there might have been some lingering effects of that. I'm not sure, but uh, she uh, wasn't able to do a whole lot at the top of the order. Larissa Pruitt, you you talked about a lot in the broadcast. It just looked like she wasn't attacking the ball like she was 
during her hot streak here the last couple of weeks before that. Uh, and then Kenley Kahalen again, continues to hit the ball really hard, but at, right, right at people. So hopefully uh, the averages will, will even out and she'll get some big hits here this weekend. Man, once Kenley starts to find gaps instead of outfielders. Hit them where they ain't. Yes, as I always say. <laughs> All right, so we get ready for the Tuscaloosa Super Regional. Northwestern is coming to town, and uh, I've begun a little bit of my prep for the Wildcats. This is obviously a very experienced team. They lost Rachel Lewis from last year's World Series squad, and for the most part, that's pretty much it. Pitching-wise, led by Danielle Williams. And, Tom, when you look at the stats, when you compare the teams, when you compare just the overall makeup and the way kind of Alabama and Northwestern win games – you could make the argument that we're looking at carbon copies. Yeah, it, it's two very evenly matched teams here. It may be a situation where hopefully the the fact that it's in Tuscaloosa with the atmosphere, which you know was talked about by all everyone in the regional, uh, mentioned how the atmosphere certainly helped the Crimson Tide, the crowd, uh, everything else. Uh, that maybe that will be one of the deciding factors: um, the the roadhouse, the environment, the experience. Uh, being in postseason play in Tuscaloosa, there's really nowhere like it in the in the entire country. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be a tough hurdle for Northwestern to overcome. And of course, we will have all of the action for the Tuscaloosa Super Regional, folks. Get your tickets. Get your tickets. Get your tickets. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The first two games are at night. Th- this yeah. place, Tom, is going to be so electric. I I cannot wait. Take, take a nap now for Saturday. That's a late first pitch, 8 o'clock. Our friends on the fun. East Coast, 9 o'clock Eastern yeah. time. Oh, boy. What are yeah. we, in the Pac-12? What's going on? I know. What, what is happening? But, yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, we've talked about nighttime football games in Tuscaloosa, how that's a different atmosphere. It's kind of the same thing softball-wise. At night, the Rhodes house, it, it gets rocking, and, and with the games – being as important as they are, World Series birth on the line, you know the crowd's going to be really fired up. Yeah, so make sure you're there, get your tickets, and if you don't come, well, Tom, the Crimson Tide Sports Network is always there for them. Absolutely. We'll we'll have all the coverage for you in all the different ways you can listen. Just push the button. Just we push the button. It. It's right yes. there. Download one of the eight apps that will work yes. to listen to us. Bing, bang, bong. We got it for you. All right, Tom, it's time to put it in play. Who are we? Well, you mentioned her before. I think Kristen White. K-Dub! Yes. My girl. Let's do it. We are putting it in play. Shall we bunt it or do a little power slap out to the left center gap? What do you want to do? Oh, I I think the power slap works good for me. Okay, that's fine. We're going to power slap it and put (laughs) it in play. When we come back, Jen Schroeder will be on the show. We'll chat with her about literally everything from regional weekend when we return here on the out of the box podcast welcome back to the out of the box podcast we are advancing to first here on the show with the you know postseason we're switching up the format and so during this time we always like to to fire off the hot takes and who better to do that then one of our friends, one of our favorites, Jen Schroeder, is back on the show from ESPN, Seven Innings Podcast, The Bruin Bubble, which I might be kicked out of after picking UCLA and then them losing in regionals. Jen, how are you? I feel like I need some theme music when I come on your show now, like Hot Takes by Jen Schroeder. <laughs> 
Honestly, we can save that. I, I think, look, season six, we're going to have the gin drop. We'll have that Ooh. at the ready. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, uh, so I think, does your podcast have a lot more fans since the first time that we all chatted at the beginning of season? I'll tell you or, what. The, or listeners, maybe not fans. But the listeners. listenership in the state of Oklahoma has gone up this year. So right. thank you for that. <laughs> Pretty fantastic. And, and, and thank, you, thank you for taking some of, your, some of their uh, vitriol away from me and going to you so congratulations (laughs) on that you're welcome (laughs) we and we will talk about the Sooners don't worry everyone I will ask Jen about Oklahoma but we have to start with the biggest story of regionals and it was UCLA going two and Q uh, a result that that literally nobody expected and simply put Jen I'm just gonna ask how did this happen I've been on three radio shows today Sirius XM, ESPN, another Sirius XM one. And each and every radio show has asked me that same question. And my answer is pretty simple. It's that UCLA didn't play well enough to win. Like bottom line, they just did not play well enough to win. Their offense was non-existent. Um, I would have loved to see more coaching. And what I mean by that is potentially a mix up of a lineup. Like if Megan Grant is the only person that's hitting RBIs, then why is she batting lead off? Right. I would have loved to see some changes, I know there's a lot of people that are talking about losing with your best pitcher. And I'm doing air quotes here, Megan Faramo on the bench. But personally, I think that Brooke Yanez was the right decision to go against Liberty. And I thought that she threw quite excellent. Uh, But when it all comes down to it is UCLA was not the best team the last three days that they played. And it really is unfortunate because they are or were so incredibly talented. This is something we're talking about this entire podcast, but uh, I thought one of the biggest failings of the committee this this time around was not necessarily the one through 16. It was the two threes and fours that were put in on some of these. Some of it was because of geography and other reasons, but um, I don't think they did a very good job of putting the right number twos with the right number threes. And just because I'm not saying anytime that there is an upset is because of a missed seed, but UCLA had, as a number two overall seed, had by almost every metric the toughest regional. Um, what 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 do you think about that, and what do you think anything can be done about? Yeah, and that's the thing that I don't think your average softball watcher will realize because they read San Diego State or Grand Canyon, and, and they see that for being a mid-major and a team that's maybe not as competitive in softball. But when you look at the metrics and you dive in, Grand Canyon's RPI, Gray, remind me, was 64, I think. 64. There were teams in this tournament with RPIs in the 200s, correct? Yeah. Yeah, with RPIs in the 200s. And you've got the four seed coming to LA for the number two overall seed in the tournament at 64. That's honestly atrocious. And and I, I don't want to put any blame on the committee, but I do think that the teams that went to LA were very good teams and had been good teams all year. Liberty one run ball game by both Oklahoma and UCLA, San Diego state, a very tight game against UCLA earlier in the year, Grand Canyon, a team that was competitive all year long and they all end up the number two seed. I, I just don't, I don't think it was right, but I don't want to, I don't, that's not why UCLA lost, but I, I didn't like the seating. No, I think I think what's complex about it is when we talk about it, it does sound like we're making an excuse for mm-hmm. UCLA. But at the same time, 
it, it highlights one of the biggest issues that we've had with the committee for a very long time. The geography thing it continues to be ridiculous. And the fact that, that Grand Canyon was the four for the number two overall seed is, is just insane. It's insane. It, it honestly it's is. It's also insane to Grand Canyon. And you got to tip their cap. You're to cap to them right. because they beat UCLA. But truly, it also isn't right for a team like Grand Canyon, you know? And there was a tweet that I put out. And people were really mad at me, which is tends to be a, con <laughs> a, a constant theme in my tweets. But I made the point that San Diego State is the three seed in L.A. and doesn't even have to face the one seed. And, and they make it to a super regional. I can't remember. I was trying to look. I, I think I made it 11 years where that had happened, where a three seed goes into a top five seeded team in the country and comes out without beating the one seed. And 11 years ago was someone random on Twitter who told me. So it could very well be further back than that. Well, yeah. hey, if they said it on Twitter, then we should just believe it's it. Facts. It's facts. Yeah, it must, exactly. must be true. It's on the internet. It must be true. That's the way I've, I've always heard. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Grand Canyon probably made a case where they wouldn't have even been a four seed somewhere. They should have maybe been a three seed somewhere else. And I mean, there's a top 65 RPI. That, right. I mean, are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. Jen, another thing that I want to talk about, and I feel like it's a big story from this weekend is the umpiring and specifically strike zones. We were texting a lot about some of the zones that we saw in games. Tom and I witnessed uh, one of the weaker ones in, in a very long time in one of the games in Tuscaloosa. And I'm not just saying Alabama got hosed. I mean, it was a bad zone overall mm -hmm. because it was inconsistent. There were ejections. There was just a lot of stuff with mm -hmm. umpiring this weekend. Why was it such an issue, it, it seems like, across the country? You're right. I mean, the zone in Tuscaloosa was not consistent. The zone in Palo Alto on Sunday was awful. The zone in Stillwater Saturday night, that one I could not figure out. So there were zones across the country. And to be honest, as a catcher, I don't even care if the, I don't agree with the zone. I just care that the zone is consistent. That's what I ask from an umpire. So if you love the lower half, love the lower half the entire game. If you love uh, to extend east to west, then great. Let's extend there all game long. And I and I just feel like we're we're very much lacking consistency. Um, I'm obviously good friends with Marty, who is you know one of, one of the top umpires in softball. I, I would think. Do you guys agree with that statement? I, I yeah. feel like he's yeah. a very very fair umpire whose zone is very consistent and he also knows the rules really well so he's in pittsburgh so i talked to him you know great like i talked to you on the phone a lot this weekend i talked to marty probably five or six times because every obstruction call i'm calling him and literally wanting to listen to the to how they're deciding the obstruction calls because i'm i'm so frustrated with this call overall and i i even called him today like hey can we do something online we need to we need to better prepare catchers to make the right play, to have confidence in where their feet are. Because I had the Charlotte, I'm getting off tangent a little bit, but I, I think it's interesting. Like the Charlotte catcher, for example, DM me an hour after the game. Hey, what did, did you feel like that was obstruction? How can I be better? And I think that these athletes are really concerned with what they can do to be better, to avoid things like obstruction. When it comes to the zone and the inconsistencies there, you feel so helpless as an athlete. And I'm sure as a coach, you become very frustrated. So what's the reason? Why is it so poor? Why is it so inconsistent? I don't know if they're not measuring umpires, holding them to a standard. Um, I hate 
hate, hate to be this person, but this is who I am. I, I feel like they're giving more female umpires opportunities and they're trying to push a narrative of wanting females to umpire. And I don't necessarily think at all times they're picking the best umpires to umpire in the biggest moments. That's my personal opinion. There's my hot take. There's also the issue of, I think umpires are that they are so resistant to any criticism or any accountability uh, because like we see major league baseball, there's a Twitter account that gives out umpire scorecards for every mm-hmm. game and they put it out. But uh, this has been years ago now, but ESPN tried to do the K zone for the world series one year. And it was showing the umpires how bad they were being. And they like, they, the umpires were the ones that asked for them to get rid of the K zone for, for uh television broadcast. Uh, so is that there seems to be a little bit more, uh, response to maybe everything I'm doing is not perfect as the umpire. Yeah. And I think where we lack or where the difference between baseball and softball exists right now, the biggest gap is data is coming into our sport, but not everyone is accessible to it and we're not being measured against it. So like as a catching coach, I battle receiving methods, right. In baseball to softball and in baseball, there's so much data that can back up why coaches are doing a certain thing. And in softball, We don't necessarily have access to that. So data, as far as how are you performing as an umpire and holding them to that standard, we don't have it. And so it's all objective or subjective. It's again, I wish we didn't have to talk about it, but I I just, it watching as many games as we did, we all did across the weekend. And there was stuff that we didn't even get to the fair foul thing with Georgia Clark in the LSU Louisiana game. Okay. Now I have, I have answers with that. So, so I will say that, Uh, this is coming from Marty that umpires have been pushing higher foul poles and there's only one team, one field in the entire country that listened and it's Auburn. Auburn has, I believe 50 feet is what they want it to be. Does that sound right? 50. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it. Yeah. And Auburn's the only team. And apparently umpires have been going to stadiums and saying, look, this is a part of the rule book. This is, we need to extend the foul, the, the foul fair poles, the, Foul poles, sorry, foul poles. My God, why did yeah. why did that word become so tough for me all of a sudden? <laughs> um, and so when Beth went to go ask for that to be reviewed, Beth straight up said, I know that it cannot be overturned if it's above the pole. I don't think it's above the pole. She knew how to ask the question to get that reviewed. So any ball that is above the foul pole line is not reviewable. And that that's been a rule since before it can't, it can't even be overturned by another umpire. So even before replay, it couldn't be overturned. That kind of goes along with, I just think everything facility wise, softball needs mm-hmm. to be bigger. Just yep. in general, everything, fans, concessions, bathrooms, foul poles, everything bigger. Mm-hmm. Press boxes, radio booths. Yes. Radio booths, yes. <laughs> the booths. What, one, sure. we would like radio booths to be there. And then two, yeah. <laughs> uh, large enough size, please. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Jen Schroeder joining us as we advance the first here on the Other Box Podcast. We've already fired off some hot takes. So, Jen, I'm going to ask you about one of yours from last weekend, which was Oregon. You were all in. Oregon's going to go to Arkansas and win this regional. And I didn't see very many people on board with that. I, I certainly wasn't. Great. You, I text you. I was like, hey, okay, so so I got Oregon. I think Oregon's advancing. You said, I don't see it. It was like a I did. quick Ouch. fire back. I was like, I did. okay, well, well, I, just I thought- watch. I thought Oregon was too erratic to go uh-huh. and win a regional. And, and all of a sudden their offense put up numbers that we haven't even seen at all. And it, was com- it wasn't it was coming from the Tara McGowan's and the Alley Bunkers. 
right? Yeah. So that that's what stood out to me the most where that look, the team that wins the World Series isn't always the best team or the team that makes a super regional or the team that even advances to the World Series. It's the teams that are playing the best at the right times. And when I looked at Oregon's body of work, they had, same with Utah, really big wins when it mattered. Like they really did have big wins. And so looking at that, coupled with the fact that they ended their season in Fayetteville the year prior, when I think that they thought they could have get, gotten by that region, I just felt like they had a little added energy that was going to get them by that region. And then they used the motivation of D1 softball, picking everyone, picking Arkansas. And they actually used that graphic with their team and took it to their team before they played Arkansas and used it as motivation. The other thing. um, Okay. So what in the world happened in Seattle? Because yeah, we're waiting to see where this, the last, this last regional going on. And, oh, my gosh, there's going to be a huge upset. McNeese up 6 nothing in the seventh. Surely to goodness the Cowgirls will hold on here. And then one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Have you ever seen anything like what the what the Huskies were able to do there in the seventh? Never in my life. So I got trapped by my couch this week. Or not this weekend. Honestly, only Sunday. I was really busy with some family stuff that I had to attend. And so Sunday I woke up. I am a diligent person. I don't sleep in. I don't go to sleep early. Like I'm just a person who's working all the time. Right. I did not take my pajamas off until like 5 PM. You guys like, it was like, I was just trapped. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but I just got trapped by softball. So finally McNeese is up six to zero and it's the six. And I thought that was a good time to finally take a shower for the day to get ready for dinner, which is my <laughs> only outing of the entire day. Cause I'm on the, the, obviously the Pacific coast. Right. So my husband is is in our den and he's like, hey, Jen, uh, UW's like starting to rally here. You, you want to come watch? I'm like, what's the score? He's like 6-0. I'm like, man, let me get like, let me get dressed, you know? So all of a sudden I'm like hearing stuff happen and I got trapped again. I was back on the couch, just trapped there. And I have never in my many years of watching a lot of softball seen that type of rally fight, determination, raw, uh, passion, just grit, any word that I could possibly use to describe specifically Sammy Reynolds in that moment, just the sheer will to make it happen. It was, it was unbelievable. But what Washington was able to do, 13 shutout innings McNeese had against them, 13, you're down six to zero and you rally to score seven in the seventh unbelievable we've covered a lot of regionals and there are a lot of supers that we need to dive into in just a moment but is there any other regional jen schroeder that we have not touched on that you want to highlight there were so many okay i just want to give love to make me stay i want to give love to miami of ohio because they hit the absolute shit out of the ball okay like incredible all 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 the mid-majors uh, Middle Tennessee. I know you guys have feelings about them, but hey. we've got to tip our caps. Because Gretchen we, Mead. Gretchen uh, Mead. Incredible fantastic. weekend. Charlotte. I thought Charlotte was going to force the if necessary game in Duke. I mean, the Duke region to me was the most confusing of all. George Mason almost beat them. Charlotte almost beat them, but yet they they sneak out. And I think that Stanford Duke's going to be interesting. I'm sure we'll get there. Um, and then obviously San Diego State and Liberty, like we just have to tip our caps to all of those mid-majors who showed so well this past weekend. And and I hope 
that people will remember that moving forward into like seasons to come that, you know, if a mid-major gives a, you know, a power five team, a loss or a really good game on a Wednesday, that it's not, you know, it's not a fireable offense to the coach that right. you know, there's some really good softball <laughs> being played somewhere else in the non-power yeah. five. Yeah. Um, good point. We looking at some of these super regional matchups. Uh, I think the juiciest one is the Florida state Georgia one. Uh, where you have Catherine Sandercock, who just pitched a perfect game against the Georgia offense, which is just pounding the cover off the ball. Uh, what do you look for from the Seminoles and the Bulldogs? Rudy just walked in. Oh, hi, hi. Rudy. Say hi in the microphone. Hi. <laughs> hi. Perfect. That's Rudy, everybody. Uh, you know, this morning on Full Ride, Rick Neuheisel was trying to get an answer out of me of what is more important. Is it top dominant pitching or is it top dominant hitting? And I said, Rick, I can't answer that question. I said, but if you want to figure it out, maybe watch the Florida State versus Georgia Super Regional this weekend because that's going to be our answer. Kat Sandercock, obviously, with a perfect game, her first of her career to take them to a Super Regional. Unbelievable. And then Georgia, who is just hitting the absolute bejesus out of the softball. Like that region is going to have it all. And I hope, because we all have these high expectations, right? I hope it is everything that we expect it to be. Okay, here we go. The setup. Oklahoma hosts Clemson this weekend. Does Valerie Cagle and Clemson, do they have something, something in the in the air? that can help them find a win or even just a competitive game against the Oklahoma Sooners. Okay, here's what we learned this past weekend, guys. Anyone can beat a team one time. Like, anyone can beat a team one time. You don't know who's going to win once. I don't think there's a team in the country who could beat Oklahoma twice. That That's what I think. And I, and I almost wish that this year's finals – was a one-game winner-take-all. I wish it wasn't a three-game series. I wish it was more like a national championship for football because then, really, any team could win. Um, I just want to put it out there that I went and looked at Oklahoma's home run stats and run stats from last year to this year, and just so everyone knows, they're, they're over 50 home runs behind last year and over 100 runs behind last year. So everything that I said on your first podcast came to fruition. Just, yes. you know, I just need to be very clear there. Um However, I don't know. You know, you just you can't count Valerie Cagle out. In my opinion, she's going to be the player of the year. Here's where the story gets interesting is everyone in the state of Oklahoma believes that, I don't know, all three player of the year candidates should come from Oklahoma. It should be Jordy, Tiare, and Jada, right? And Jada should win player of the year. And so that's going to be the story for, from that fan base is going to be, oh, it's Valerie Cagle, player of the year against the Sooners, and look what they can do against her. Now, there's something in me that just wants Valerie Cagle to, to get one from them. Uh, and of course I do, because doesn't the whole world of softball that I'm, I'm, I'm overseeing 16 run softball games like let's have a competitive softball game. That's good for our sport. So I want to see it. But I, Oklahoma comes out of the region. Obviously, Oklahoma yeah. will be at the World Series, obviously. But do I want to see Cagle compete? And, and John Rittman, a fantastic coach. He's going to have them prepared. Yeah, it's just it's more interesting if Clemson is competitive. It just is. Mm -hmm. The another really interesting matchup I think is Texas and Tennessee, two teams that have really deep offenses and really deep pitching staffs. Who do you think has the edge in that one? Well, and that's an ABC game on Saturday, which is huge that we got an ABC window, and you know they're sending the A crew there. So Holly, Beth, Michelle. 
and Jess will all be in Knoxville, which I think is just really exciting and big for our sport. You just can't count out Mike White postseason teams. You just can't. Like there's something about his teams in the postseason that in my mind is almost a little annoying. And I know that that word like has negative connotation, (laughs) but it's like, where have you been all year? You don't win consistently throughout the year. And then you show up in the postseason and you just are absolute dogs. Like you just fight and fight and fight. So you can't count them out. And Tennessee has been on a pretty good roll. Like they're rolling. They haven't really been tested as far as adversity. So I think that's why this matchup becomes interesting to me. Tennessee, I think, is the better team. Like there's no doubt Tennessee is the better team. What Kiki Malloy has done this year, what Ashley Rogers, obviously Carlin Pickens, freshman of the year in the conference. And we don't talk enough about Zeta Pooney and what she does because uh, I know that Kiki Malloy is one of the best hitters in the country, but I think Zeta Pooney might be one of the best hitters in their best hitter in their lineup. Is that even fair to say? I don't know. She's <laughs> she's damn good though. She's really good. Um, so I think Tennessee has the edge, but Texas is going to fight. As we uh, as we continue to be joined by Jen Schroeder and Lil Rudy, who gave us a hello just a bit ago, Jen, let's talk about the potential battle for the 2019 National Freshman of the Year Revenge Weekend as Northwestern and Alabama are slated to face off. Danielle Williams won National Freshman of the Year in 2019. We all assumed the runner-up was Montana Fouts. Uh, Montana Fouts certainly could play. She was available on Sunday. I, she's only going to get, I assume, healthier because that's how time works before the start of this super on Friday. But I mean, on paper, I've done the numbers. I've run the stats. This feels like a battle between two teams that have a lot of similarities. I think that, you know, it's interesting as a whole. I think every super regional is an interesting matchup because all the teams feel evenly matched. And I think no super regional more so than Northwestern Alabama. I give the edge to Alabama. And I was a critic with the five seed. I did not think Alabama deserved the five seed whatsoever, but I think that Alabama gets to the World Series. If I'm Alabama, I was texting with Emily P. Tech this morning. I am making sure that Montana has every form of therapy possible. I mean, you're getting massaged, you're in the cold pool, like you were doing all the PT, everything possible, because you can't tell me that we have seen Montana Fouts pitch her last inning at the Rhodes House. I won't, I won't stand for it. And I I don't think anyone else will. It gives me goosebumps to think about it. Like she will pitch again at the Rhodes house. I think I watched Northwestern a lot this weekend. And to me, they're not playing their best softball right now. Now you have Danielle Williams in the circle. You could win it a game any day. Same with Montana Fouts, right? Like what her off speed is just filthy. The way she's able to keep batters off balance. But I think that the way Miami of Ohio played against them, it showed that they have weaknesses that maybe the country as a whole didn't quite realize in Northwestern. Those of us who play close enough attention did, but maybe the country as a whole. I just think that Bama does it. I think Bama does it this weekend. And can I give a shout out to Allie Shipman for throwing that runner out in the six and hitting that bomb to make sure that her best friend goes to a super because that made me emotional. Yeah, uh, please. And, uh, you know, this and with her also, and then uh, a lot is going to ride on Montana Fouts, but I think we saw a lot from Shayla Torrance this past weekend that's going to uh, give Alabama a, a different weapon that most people didn't know about. Yeah, if Allie Shipman wasn't the story in Tuscaloosa this weekend, then Jayla was. And I still think that Alex Salter has it in her to have a really, really good five to six innings in this super regional. Like, just give me. 
give me the best five innings of your career in Alabama. And like, I feel like the tide are going to be in a good spot. Mm. I like that. I like that pick. Thank you, Jen. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. You did mention Duke and Stanford, uh, the battle of the nerds, the uh, SAT super. It's again, two teams that feel very similar. I don't trust Duke whatsoever, but Cassidy Curd has been one of the most unhittable pitchers the last month. Stanford, their offense got really rolling for the first time in a month in regionals, but was it just because they were playing Florida? I don't know. What, what do you say? Well, I'm telling you, it didn't matter who they were playing. Stanford run rolling anybody wasn't on my bingo card, specifically a Tim Walton Florida team. Like it just wasn't at all. Um, but you're right. There's something about this regional that to me, I'm picking Stanford. And I'm not doing that because I'm a Pac-12 girl. Just watching the way Stanford played in their regional and then watching the way Duke played in their regional. I don't think if you watch both closely that you can confidently pick Duke right now. The way Stanford was able to play solid defense, we know they're going to pitch well. And then the way they were able to get very timely hits and also some big hits, like they were hitting gap to gap. The ball was leaving the yard. They're obviously stealing bases like they do. Like Stanford kind of had it all this past weekend in Palo Alto. So I'll be interested to see how this one goes. I definitely have my eyes on it. I mean, I have my eyes everywhere, but I feel like there's something telling me that Stanford's going to be at the World Series. I don't know. I'm still torn on this one. Honestly, because because the thing for me with Duke is Cassidy Curd. Like she she has been so good. But what about Nigeria Kennedy? No, she, well, but even when she's been good, Stanford has still struggled because they're often like fair. I the Florida pitching staff is such a great equalizer for an offense to kind of mm-hmm. get back on track. And I I need to see Stanford be able to put up five runs against somebody else. Because I mean, we have to remember before the Florida blowouts. One run against Long Beach State. Okay, yeah. but let me let me argue this with you. Charlotte and George Mason both scored in every game against Duke. Okay? I think Stanford's offense is better than both of those teams. So Stanford, Stanford can find a way to score two runs. Can their pitching staff hold Duke to less than two? Yes. That's that's where I'm coming to my prediction. Mm. Yeah, that's there, there's a lot of intriguing super regionals. That's certainly one of them. Is there any other ones that we haven't hit that you'd like to to give oh. an opinion on? Well, okay, UW Louisiana. That's going to be wild. I don't know who comes out of that one. I honestly don't know. I, I, I that one confuses me more than anything. But if Washington starts off where they left off, and if Louisiana starts off where they left off. That has the chance to be one of the kind of wildest super regionals. Although I could see us thinking that and then it disappointing us for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. Gloomy Seattle sometimes does that to you. But how how mad was Louisiana at Nice? Because oh. they, they, uh, they were they oh. were about to probably host the super regional. They against, had the tweet written up. They were just oh, waiting yeah. to hit send. <laughs> uh. Graphics department was pumping something out real fast. No doubt the graphics for that were done. Ah, that's brutal. But but they they did get to bathe in the glory of beating LSU and and finally beating them in a super regional, though. So I'm sure they're they're okay. But I'm sure they were very happy or they were very excited to be able to host the super and it didn't happen. But for sure. Okay. But do you think, okay, 
I want us all to vote on where we think that the best super regional is. Best as far as like, I want to watch that one. I want to be locked in. Because for me, it's actually still water. I think Oklahoma State, Oregon, I, I, I got a feeling there's going to be some storylines there. I'm Knoxville. Yeah. I, I, I think good job, Megaronowitz and company for picking that for ABC. I think uh-huh. that is the tightest super. Mm-hmm. Tom? And I, I think Alabama Northwestern is going to be because they're two so evenly matched mm-hmm. teams. Uh, but if I had to pick one, I would go Florida State. Yeah. And Florida I State, mean, Georgia is going to be crazy. I feel like any any of our picks are 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 going to be really good. And now I feel like we've talked about every super regional except Utah San Diego State, so we should probably just talk about it so we just don't talk about one, but Right, yeah. Um, I think Utah might be one of the most fun teams to watch right now. If you tune into any of their games, they are loud, they are dancing, they are passionate. Like and Amy Hogue is like that as a head coach. Like she's very outward with her emotions and her players are really buying into that and their post game jumping in the pool video I mean it gave me goosebumps so I love it but then on the other hand you've got San Diego State and you've got a mid-major led by one of the best players of all time and Stacey Newman who's if there's a, an award to win in this sport she's won it whether it be a gold medal a national championship a player of the year whatever it is she's done it and watching her be moved to tears after they clinched that made me incredibly emotional. So I, I think that's going to be a good super regional as well. Yeah. You know what else uh, just makes sense is having Jen Schroeder on one of our postseason episodes on the Out of the Box podcast. Jen, always a pleasure to advance the first with you. Thank you for uh, getting the OU fans riled up on Twitter once again. I'm sure maybe somehow. we. I'm sure we just made a passing comment that will lead to some kind yeah, of Twitter I know. controversy. Cause, cause last, last time it was the big bad Sooners, right? So maybe this time I said something about Val Cagle. It'll be totally taken out of context. Like she's the player of the year and should be over Jada and Tiara <laughs> and Jen voted for uh, Val. Okay. Yeah. You guys, I do not make the player of the year list. Like <laughs> I, I can't wait to see what the headline is tomorrow or whenever this comes out. I hope it's good. No, it's going to be this. Jen Schroeder says she was right about all the <laughs> well, you, well, you were. We just didn't realize that they were going to have three All-American pitchers that were, we, you couldn't score on them either. So they didn't have to be as good hitting-wise. Exactly. And yeah. what people don't realize is, remember, when we taped, that was the day that I knew Kinsey had surgery and no one else did in the whole country. Nah. So... I had some insider information there. That I, I wasn't going to give it up on the podcast, right? No. Come on. With yeah, great well, power uh, comes great responsibility. Yeah. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> Jen, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming back on with us. Thanks for having me, guys. So that was Jen. Tom, just she is always firing. Oh, all the hot takes. Ready to go. Plus, who doesn't love when our guests have their children pop in so we've had dylan we've now had rudy is there anyone else well i've had my dog Maisie. she's come on a couple times so that's been about it <laughs> not quite the same no, but not quite the same. yes <laughs> thank you to jen for popping on now tom it's time for us to give our thoughts about the regionals when we come back we'll look at the left side of the bracket look at the supers and get ready for the last 16 teams to battle it out that's next here on the out of the box podcast
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It's time to steal second gray and Tom. We are looking at the left side of the bracket. Let's go top left, Tom. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Uh, Super 116, Oklahoma, Clemson. The Norman Regional, I honestly don't have many thoughts. Kind of went literally exactly as we thought. OU did another regional final thing where they just destroyed and demolished a team. Clemson-Auburn got tight. I thought Auburn would come out of it, and it ended up being Clemson. Valerie Cagle probably sewed up player of the year in the process, and now we get ready for a a test for sure for the Clemson Tigers. Man, it it would be interesting to see if they can find a way to get one. Yeah, it's kind of we're at the point where if Oklahoma doesn't just run through something, then that's the story, not necessarily if someone has a chance to beat them. Um, yeah, no, they had no problem in that Norman regional. Um, the Clemson regional was really close as we kind of thought it was going to be. Auburn did force that if necessary game, but uh, I think it's kind of ran out of steam and, and Valerie Cagle, I agree. I think she, she locked up player of the year and, uh, because she can do it both in the circle and at the plate. Uh, I could see her maybe having one game that they keep it really, really close and it's a tight one, but I'd be surprised if, if Oklahoma doesn't get another sweep through the super regionals here yeah and there are other good pitchers on that clemson staff but the question is will john Rittman be able to utilize them properly how will all of that go we'll find out but oklahoma clemson coming up this weekend again not a ton of thoughts i, I don't think from norman or honestly from clemson it kind of played out exactly as we thought yeah except for i said clemson to win you said auburn would so. right right yeah yes well, so, whatever gray a pick that. wrong i'm stuck um, how does that happen Let's just move on down. Uh, okay, Stanford right. Duke is coming up in Supers. Let's look at Palo Alto. Every issue that Florida has had continued to be an issue. Uh, Stanford hit their pitching, and Florida, while their offense actually did pretty solid work overall in this regional, just could not keep up the pace against the Stanford pitching staff that's too darn good. Yeah, uh, you kind of, or at least I did. This, this is one pick that I got wrong. I thought Florida would come out of that regional, but you kind of thought postseason Florida was going to show up, but uh, they didn't have it this season for one reason or another. And it was uh, a lot of it because the lack of consistency pitching wise. Um, and, you know, you, you can only win so many, uh, you know, blowout type or so many slugfest type matchups. Uh, but when you're facing uh, teams with the caliber of pitching that Sanford had, that it's going to be hard to have slugfest. And that's what Florida needed. But, you know, I, I thought Stanford kind of answered a few questions, but at the same time, like you talked with Jen, it's kind of weird that you're saying you don't really know what you have just because you beat Florida. And I think I did want to mention the controversial non-out-of-the-box call. We are the out-of-the-box podcast. The Pal yes. Egan walk-off for Florida against LMU 
Definitely was out of the box. Definitely should have been called. I thought it was ironic. The next day in their game against, I can't remember whether it was the Stanford game or the LMU losers bracket game, Pal Egan, I think it was LMU actually, was called for being out of the box while swinging away, which was just a little little late there, guy. I'm sure LMU really appreciated it there. You know, we talked with Jen about the the umpiring this weekend in the uh, in the NCAA tournament. Unfortunately, it was it was a a story. Um, and when every game is televised, every game gets gets eyes. You can you know social media posts, everything, anything like that that happens is going to go viral quickly. Um, just another um, situation where the umpires need to have a little bit more accountability. Right. And and I know it's weird, non-slapper, but we do have to look for it. And I was even watching um, LSU Louisiana earlier, a little rerun while I was doing some work. And Allie Newland, late in the second game, was out of the box. There was barely a box there, but where her feet were, she would have been out of the box. And there was a foul ball situation, but there would have been two strikes. So I just we we do have to if we're going to call it on slappers, we also need to be aware that sometimes people swinging away can be out of the box just based on how their swing is too. Right, and I mean we have in the postseason we have four umpires, so and I know it's tough for the home plate umpire to always call it, but you would think that one of the base umpires that would could be a kind of a second set of eyes that could be watching on those type of plays. Duke. Uh, does the Duke thing. Okay. They beat George Mason 2-1. They beat Charlotte 5-0. They beat Charlotte 4-2. That's like the most Duke of Duke regional wins. I thought Charlotte Charlotte played a little bit better than I, I thought they were going to. Duke's just not going to blow anybody out. That's just not their not their MO. Uh, so I think that does set up a really interesting regional, uh, super regional with Stanford because they're kind of along the same line. So it's, it's a really evened up matchup with that 8-9 super. And we'll pick it a little bit later on in the show. Oh, good. Wonderful. Yes. So we've talked about Alabama. Alabama's super regional opponent is Northwestern, who got out of Evanston. Not easily, you know, a 2 nothing win over Eastern Illinois, a 10-8 win over Kentucky when Aaron Koffel hit the just most monstrous home run I've ever seen. And I'm throwing the Bailey Hemphill-Auburn one as well. I think those are two peas in a home run pod. And wow. then, oh yeah, and then beating Miami of Ohio five four on a controversial replay review, which I also went back and watched last night. And uh, the Red Hawks have an argument, but the Wildcats do get through Evanston. And again, kind of similar to Duke, this is a very Northwestern esque way to get through a regional. Well, tell me about what what was the controversy there with Miami and, and Northwestern. So it was a force play at home, bases loaded. Uh, the throw was in time but it looked as if the catcher's foot had a little bit of dirt between the cleat and the plate and the person at home was called out they reviewed it said there was nothing indisputable to overturn it i could make the argument that the foot was not on the bag and and, you know at the same time i would also say red hawks you the bases loaded with nobody out don't strike out two out of the three outs right after but still it it was uh just another bang bang play in one of these regionals which is happening it feels like every single game yeah oh that's yeah that's a tough one for miami although that would have 
if they were able to even win that game, that would just foresee if necessary. So that Northwest right. would have another chance. Uh, the story, I think of that regional was Kentucky, not, not even making it to the regional final, just a, a disappointing way for Kayla Kowalik's career to end uh, without ever making it out of super regional play. Yeah. And especially to not make the regional final the day after they looked like the Kentucky team that we always thought they could be. Yeah. That's, that. that's the thing. Like day number one, Kentucky was one of, if not the most impressive teams that played on day number one, but then just wasn't able to continue that momentum in, in that tough regional. And then Miami, Ohio, you know, Miami, Ohio run ruling Kentucky was crazy. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that, that was, that might've been one of, if they, of not the most surprising results of the entire first round of the tournament. Uh, and you mentioned our dear friend, Kayla Kowalik, one of our favorites to cover one of my favorite follows on Twitter Shout out to her. She's going to go play pro somewhere. She's going to have a phenomenal career. But I'm going to be honest, Tom, I'll miss seeing her wearing that Kentucky jersey. And I think she's one of the ones. What's crazy about regionals is how many careers come to an end in such a short amount of time. But Kayla Kowalik is one of those rare kids nowadays who goes to a place and stays there because she loves the place and she loves everything about where she is. And it would have been really easy for Kayla Kowalik in her fifth year to try and go somewhere else. And she didn't. She stayed at Kentucky. And this is probably the most difficult year of her career. But you know what? I I will always remember that post-game interview that she had after they walked off Florida to close out the regular season. Absolutely. Yeah, just a great ambassador for the sport of softball. So, yeah, we're very interested to follow her. She goes along in her pro career. Uh, But it fell short, and it fell short because of Miami, Ohio, and then Miami, Ohio, Ohio fell short because of Northwestern, who is going to be the team that Alabama is going to be facing in super regional play. And um, they they had some really good performances this weekend, uh, but very similar to Alabama, they just found ways to win. And one last one, Tom. Who's pitching? Who's pitching? Nobody it'll anymore. Whole, it'll be a whole new question in 2024. Oh, man. Stay tuned, folks. We'll answer it in the season finale. The last one on the left side is Texas and Tennessee. That's coming up this weekend. Uh, First off, before we dive into the regionals themselves, you heard it from Jen. You've seen it in the promos. I caught it on the first day. ABC, we are back, and Texas-Tennessee gets the Saturday draw on the true mothership. The ABC network, Tom, obviously gigantic for the sport. I believe this is the first super to be back on ABC since Oklahoma, Washington a couple years ago. So that's a really good sign. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get a a really good game, which I think is a, a another thing that needs to happen because I, if I remember correctly, Oklahoma, Washington, Oklahoma ended up doing what the Sooners do a lot and just blow somebody off the field. And it's not very fun. So hopefully, and I, I think this is a really good opportunity because I think Tennessee and Texas – might be one of the most intriguing super regionals we have with two teams that are very equally matched. Yeah. So again, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know that game will be at three o'clock. So you won't have to worry about crossover with the Alabama game. I hope so watch it, turn on the TVs. If you've got plans, just, just leave the house and leave the TV on. Let's get those views up Uh, a little interested that neither Alabama nor Oklahoma was involved in this choice since they've been two of the higher rated teams this year. But at the same time, I totally get it matchup wise. And I think it's a good product to have on a national network. Yeah. Cause I, I think at this point, uh, you know, you have what 
the the numbers have been for like the Alabama and the Oklahoma type games. Um, but now you're getting to the point where people that maybe don't watch softball during the regular season will watch it during postseason. And way you're going to really hook those people in are with really good, really tight matchups. And I think that's what you get a good chance with Tennessee and Texas. Also, those are two really big fan bases too. And, you know, Tennessee is going to have a really good environment. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good uh, showcase for the, for the national viewer. If you don't normally watch softball, it's a good one to get, get started on. Now, looking at the individual regionals, I actually don't really have a lot of notes. It kind of went out like I thought. I was I was sure we would see an if game in Austin. We didn't. Uh, Texas was the better team against everybody that they played. Pretty much steamrolled the bookend games. Tennessee, yeah, I mean, people scored runs on their pitching staff just a little bit, but guess what? The pitching staffs they were facing weren't nearly as good enough to hold down the Tennessee offense. So that all kind of played out like we expected. Yeah, in the Knoxville regionals, uh, particularly, I think you're the real intriguing matchups were probably that two three matchup with Indiana and Louisville because we knew that they could both really hit the home run ball and they had some really good games. Uh, but against Tennessee, yeah, you were going to score one or two. You know, Tennessee wasn't going to be able to shut them out, but Tennessee also has a really good offense, so they were going to be able to match up with them offensively, and then their pitching was going to ultimately overcome. Yeah, great weekend for Peyton Gottschall, no hitter against Northern Kentucky. And big for Tennessee, Carlin Pickens did get some experience through a couple innings in that Indiana game. Did give up the three runs, but at least has some NCAA tournament experience under her belt. And maybe most importantly, only one appearance all weekend for Ashley Rogers. Right, because in Super Regional play, I would think it would be uh, Rogers, Gottschall, Rogers if the third game is necessary, but I, I still think you saw a lot from Gottschall where you can trust her to play in the, to give her the ball in the super regional round. Yeah. So there's the left side of the bracket. Just don't do a horns down. Cause that apparently really upsets the Texas people. They're very upset about it. Look, I, I would never on this pod say anything to upset Texas because then they would just win a national championship to get me back. Something <laughs> like that. Right. I We've always, you know, cheered on Texas for the most part because of who they're playing against. We'll see who our picks are later on. Maybe I will give Tennessee some fodder. Who's Ooh. to say? Ooh. Possible. Mm. Never know. You'll have to wait for that because right now, Tom, it's time for us to round third. Okay. Sounds good. When we come back... Way. Not only will we round third, we will round down our bracket discussion by looking at the right side of the bracket. That's when we come back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Okie dokie, Smokey. We're rounding third here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray and Tom looking at the right side of the bracket, and we start on the top right. Florida State and Georgia, we've already talked with Jim. We think this could be the juiciest super regional and interesting regional paths for both of these schools georgia it it doesn't get much easier than what the dogs did in athens and in tallahassee seminoles really had to work to avoid history repeating itself this year thankfully cass andercock decided to throw a perfect game yeah it's uh and kind of needed to because her offense only gave her the one run against south carolina and Definitely got to tip the cap to South Carolina and the run they went on, not only the SEC tournament, but then what you what they were able to do 
in the regional after they fell in the loser's bracket early on, fighting all the way back, taking a game from Florida State, forcing that if necessary, and uh, we're right nip and tuck with the number three overall seed. So great job to finish off the year by South Carolina, but Cat uh, Cat Sandercock with the perfect game there in the uh, if necessary. Uh, doesn't get any bigger than that. Yeah, and I was rewatching that if necessary game, and you know I I think Bev Smith brought in Donnie Goborn a batter too late, maybe even two batters too late. And I don't necessarily disagree with using Goborn as a reliever because it worked in the SEC tournament. We saw Donnie get the start against UCF, and that was the game that the South Carolina really wasn't in in regional play. But as we've always talked about, the hardest thing in this job, it seems like, for coaches is knowing when to pull pitchers and knowing when the right move is the right move. And Bailey Bettenbaugh had just given you such a great performance against UCF the day before that, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. That's what it comes down to a lot of times is uh, do the do the coaches make the right call at the right time to pull the pitcher and uh, just one, one or two pit, uh, hitters too late. But obviously, if you're able to get the outs, then, then it's a great call. So uh, sometimes the sometimes the coaches make strategically what is the right call, and it still doesn't work out for them. Uh, but I, I agree. I thought that Donnie Goldburn, the the plan of her coming in after you get a good start from one of your other pitchers, one or two, one or one and a half times through the lineup, and then bringing Donnie in, seemed like it was uh, working really well for South Carolina through the postseason, and it, it did all up until that last one run that came across there in that uh, in that if necessary game. Yeah, and I mean, I, I say it might have mattered at the same time, get on base. <laughs> right. It, it, it didn't matter who was pitching for uh, South Carolina if the other pitcher was not giving up any base runners. So uh, I, I think it, it was a, quite a gut check for Florida State considering what happened to him last year. I'm sure that was something that was discussed and was on everyone's mind. Um that you know you, you were in the same position last year against a team from the SEC that you should be able to handle, and you know Mississippi State last year took two from them on Sunday, which I still think that there's there's a conversation of that still being the biggest upset, regardless of what happened to UCLA, just because it was two games on Sunday that they had to lose, and and for that to happen uh, to a Mississippi State team, but to know that that was the case. I'm sure that was creeping into everyone's minds, but then Cat Sandercock said, "No, I'll just throw a perfect game, and there won't be any, there won't be any of that happening again here in 2023." Athens, look, at Georgia's a good offense, and the reason I never—I don't know how you felt—I never really thought about picking Virginia Tech at all, just because of how many home runs they had given up in the regular season. I figured that that would affect them in this regional, and it did. Uh, Sydney Shambly, 13 RBIs. In the regional, that is stupid. That is so many. And Georgia got enough pitching to make sure that everybody that they were playing was held down. It was a sound statement from Georgia all weekend long. It was. It ended up being about the worst possible matchup you could give to a team like Florida State, whose biggest issue this year was giving up the long ball uh, for Virginia Tech. But the biggest upset for me of that regional was my Boston Terriers. They uh, they uh, did not have the success I thought they were, and uh, I apologize for apparently putting too much pressure on them. Hey, that's okay. The Terriers will be back. Patriot yes. League forever. Yes. This, uh, you know, hey, our picks, sometimes they are curses. It happens. Yeah, you know, 
I, I got a couple of them right, but for every one or two that are right, there are a few more that that unfortunately don't come to pass. But but that, all that being said, really impressive performance by Georgia, and that makes uh, this that super regional between uh, the Bulldogs and the Seminoles uh, one of the more intriguing ones of this weekend. That Georgia offense versus Catherine Sandercock and the rest of the seven people that Florida State can throw, I mean, sign me up. And there's there's a reason that this is getting Thursday night primetime billing. This is uh, one of the just more immensely interesting and certainly watchable supers that we'll have this weekend. Absolutely. I mean, you could have a, a one nothing game or you could have a, an 8-9 game. It'd be very, you know, either way could definitely happen um yeah i think georgia would be hoping for a few more of those slugfest type games they'll have a better chance moving on down the next super is oklahoma state the six overall seed hosting unseeded oregon who came out of fayetteville the oregon ducks who we felt like we couldn't quite trust enough to come out of there said screw you guys we're going to score a thousand runs and the way that Oregon was able to soundly beat Arkansas, not once but twice, 10 to 4 on Saturday and on Sunday, 14 to 4 and 5. I mean, we, we've used the word statement multiple times already, but this is probably the most impressive overall weekend from a single team, what Oregon was able to do. It really was. And, you know, one of the reasons why I felt more confident in picking Arkansas over Oregon was that, as well as, Shanice Dell's pitch in the SEC tournament. I thought she'd be able to bring that into regional play. You know, the Razorbacks also a team that, yes, they'd made it out of regionals the last couple of years, but could definitely make the case that they'd underachieved by not making it to Oklahoma City. Uh, so I thought maybe they were going to bring some of that into um, into the fold this weekend. But we really didn't see that. Um, I think some of the youth for Arkansas really kind of caught up with them. And then we didn't see Dells be as sharp as she had been uh, in the SEC tournament. Yeah, 24 runs allowed in the two games to Oregon for Arkansas pitching. Just Yikes. not what you want, but certainly not what you expect from a pitching staff that, you know, Dels had been great, but Kamenzen had kind of burst onto the scene as a really reliable number two. Robin Heron had shown flashes this year. Nothing seemed to work against Oregon. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of that is – a credit to what the Ducks were able to do. I think maybe the fact that this is the second year in a row that Oregon had been sent to Fayetteville, uh, there was no, uh, there was no newness there. There was, you know, they kind of, they already had their routine when they got there. They they were able to maybe nullify a little bit of that Bogle Park uh, advantage that Arkansas had because Oregon had been there before. Um, and then uh, just a, a really impressive performance. And we've seen Oregon show flashes of that this year. But like you said, they wasn't, they didn't show it consistently enough where you were for sure they were going to be able to bring that into postseason. But man, they certainly brought it in, and that's and now they get to face off with an Oklahoma State team that yes, they did just win their Stillwater Regional, but another one that I think is going to be very tough to uh, really you know trust in Super Regional play. Yeah, I got this pick wrong, obviously in Stillwater. I had Wichita State; they did not win the regional, but I don't leave it looking at Oklahoma State and saying, gosh, you know, they seem like they're back. You know, it, it took a seventh inning comeback against Nebraska to be able to get into a position where you go through the regional undefeated. They they shut out Wichita State. Sure, impressive. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, 
Oklahoma State still doesn't look like they're clicking on all cylinders to me. And they'll have a chance to, to you know, prove me wrong once again this weekend against Oregon at home. I think maybe the more impressive uh, non-Oklahoma State team in Stillwater was Nebraska, what they were able to do and, you know, falling behind in extra innings and, and still walking off a team. And second year in a row that a lot of people have jumped on the Wichita State bandwagon in postseason and the Shockers have not been able to uh to respond and and, uh, and show that but yeah if you're oklahoma state I, I think you're really happy you got out of that regional obviously you're probably gonna need to play a lot sharper against a team like oregon who i think was more impressive in their regional win than the, than the cowgirls were couldn't agree more and yeah wichita state i don't know what happened and uh, i'm probably gonna take a break from pitching uh picking the shockers to move on just you know yeah for the best well, I, I thought that I was going to do the same thing with Louisiana, and then I was able to – I went ahead and, and picked them this year. I, I didn't – I thought they got posed on their seating. Uh, had to go to LSU once again, but every once in a while, the Cajuns will come through. All right, let's just do it. The Seattle-Baton Rouge regional pairing proved to be the wackiest collection of games on Sunday. I mean, what just. in the world – Wow. Just all the craziness uh, going on between uh, two mid-majors from Louisiana trying to take off or take out seated teams. And uh, which one do you want to start off with? I mean, uh, Seattle's on on the top. So let's go with Seattle where Washington came back from down 6 nothing in the seventh to win 7-6. And then McNeese had a, still had a chance to walk it off because of three-seed politics. And... Had a leadoff base hit in the bottom of the seventh, but couldn't get it done. This was after McNeese had shut out Washington in the game prior. I mean, just uh, you, you admire the grit of Washington. Uh, you feel awful for the McNeese kids because my gosh, they went through they went through hell in this regional. Think about how think about the first game. The first game they played a thirteen inning marathon with Minnesota. Then they lose to Washington. Then they beat Minnesota one nothing in an epic pitcher's duel. And then they beat Washington. And then they go up big on Washington. And you've got visions of an all-state-of-Louisiana super. And then it just all comes crashing down. It was as if the Cowgirls hit a wall at the worst possible time, like the second the rain started to fall in Seattle. It, it was – I hate it for those kids because it was otherwise a, a really impressive run. So impressive that they were even in that position to begin with. Like you said, to to have that marathon game where you almost play the equivalent of two games in one to start off to start off your regional, then fall in the losers bracket and have to battle your way back up through it, um, and uh, really handle Washington pretty easily in the first game to force it if necessary. But that seventh inning for Washington is going to be dissected and analyzed for years to come on both sides. We talked with Jen Schroeder about it a little while ago, but one, so impressive for Washington to after having done absolutely nothing offensively against McNeese for that entire one, almost two total games to figure it out and find it when they absolutely had to in that seventh inning. And then the, the question marks we always talk about like you just said, when to take out pitchers, probably should have probably should have a little bit earlier if you're McNeese. This isn't even a hindsight is 2020. 
I was sitting at Heat Pizza with a lot of people who know a lot about softball, and everybody was screaming at the TV, Take make the change, yes. pull her. And again, all the respect and love in the world to Ashley Vallejo, who pitched an incredible game, but it was quite, quite clear in that moment that something different had to happen, and McNeese did not pull the trigger. And look, that's not why they lost. Uh, why they lost is they couldn't get three outs in the seventh. Um, but it is certainly a catalyst for why they could not get the three outs they needed. But that also, it also kind of shows you why, you know, you should never 100% give up in a game. Uh, if you're a fan, if you're watching it, you know, there's softball is a game where there's not a clock. It's, it's about getting that last out and the last three outs of a game when you're the underdog uh, trying to pull that type of upset are always the toughest three to get. And Washington got a couple things going their way, and then we're just able to continue to pass the bat down. You know, they it's not like they hit a bunch they didn't hit a bunch of home runs or anything in that seventh inning. They just, you know, they they did uh what they had to do to bring the next person up. And, and let me tell you this the highlight of my day was doing the D1 softball podcast earlier, and we were chatting with all-named champion Silent Rain Espinoza of Washington, and she was talking about exactly what you just mentioned and said they had fans leaving when McNeese went up 3 nothing in the fourth. And it's just another thing. The game is not over until the last out is recorded. It's one of those things that we always talk about. People start complaining about things before the final out is recorded and end up looking like idiots. I bet everybody who left that stadium felt like such a buffoon watching the end of that game when they got home. If this was a Washington softball podcast and we had an off the wall for that, I'm sure there are plenty of people that would be called out for uh, what was probably being said after that first game or almost through the, out the entire second game until that seventh inning. Oh man. I bet, I bet the tweets at the going to the seventh post from the official Washington account were Ooh. quite something. Oh my gosh. We, when you've seen it a, a month enough to know that games can turn just like that, you know, they can be, you know, me state had all the momentum Washington looked like they couldn't do anything, but especially when you have the more talented team, a game can change on a dime. And uh, that's what we finally saw happen with Washington. They were able to finally show that they were the better, better team. It took a long time to get there, but it, the toughest thing to do is finish off a team on the road in an upset. They'll get those final three outs. So naturally, Washington is paired with Louisiana, who comes out of Baton Rouge, Tom, well done. You stuck with it. So uh, clearly the formula is we both cannot pick Louisiana. It has to be one of us. If one of us does it, then we're good. If it's both, no. Right. Only one of us can do it for the cornbread. (laughs) That's what the Cajuns were able to do. Uh, But they did what McNeese was trying to do to go to force it if necessary and win two on Sunday uh, on the road against the seeded team and to do it against LSU I'm sure had just a little extra chili on it for the Cajuns. Well, and we already talked about the ending of game one with the fair foul call on the Georgia Clark non-home run. Game two, you had Louisiana up 6-0, and then we go down to the clubhouse and come back, and it's 6-6, and we're like, what is going on? And then LSU has the lead, and then Louisiana retakes the lead on a passed ball on an intentional walk attempt. 
Ugh. And then a go-ahead RBI on a intentional walk attempt that just bleeds right over the middle. Oh my gosh, there is no more painful way to lose. I, I truly feel bad for the Tigers because of all the ways for that game to end, the way that it did is as tough as it comes. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things I know Major League Baseball has gone to the, if you want to intentionally walk somebody, just say we're intentionally walking them and you don't have to throw the pitches. That's why you have to throw the pitches because something crazy can happen. You know, for some reason, Sometimes softball pitchers, I've noticed especially, throwing an intentional walk pitch is really difficult because it's, it goes against all the mechanics that you normally do. That's why, you know, we saw uh, Ashley Prangy get intentionally walked twice during the SC tournament, and the catcher for Arkansas uh, didn't get out of her crouch. She just set up way outside. So we've seen sometimes the intentional walks be kind of unconventional and having to do it. Uh, because it's you know throwing that pitch is so different than what you normally do on a on a regular at bat, uh, but just, especially uh, to righty batters as well. That's where it's hard. If you're a righty pitcher and it's a righty batter, that is not easy. Yeah, uh, so just just a brutal way to to give up the lead and end up losing you know the the end of the season for LSU and uh, another year for LSU where you know they they did enough to get a really good seed, but. You're you're still, I I'm not thinking that they're uh, reaching the level that their talent, you know, kind of shows that they could. They they they're a team that should be playing in super regionals. Yeah, their team their team that should be you know competing for the World Series, uh, but didn't make it this year even though they were hosting. A tough moment for Sidney Brazan, the pitcher who who threw the aforementioned intentional walk pitches. She had a great shutout. Of Louisiana, first time the Cajuns have been shut out all year, but she'll learn from that, and I'm excited to see how she grows and how her future uh, looks going forward. Uh, the Georgia Clark controversy certainly oh. something getting thrown out in Game Two after what was honestly a bad call by the home plate umpire on a on a strike that probably shouldn't have been. Um, it it was not a foul ball, but whatever. Just all in all, this this turned out to be as crazy as we expected a Louisiana LSU regional to be. Yeah, not, not shocking though. A a regional in Baton Rouge just went off the rails. Was was just drunk. Next step, committee. Look, if we're gonna start doing this, then let's create narratives right. I need an LSU Louisiana super. That's what I need. Gumbo everywhere probably being thrown at others like let's let's do it let's go all in yeah that's we we saw it in in regional play but my goodness if they if they make it up in supers or imagine lsu going to lafayette for supers mm. that would be even more off the rails i mean let's do it yeah, you know, yeah. We'll be, we will be trying our best to make it happen going forward because we have because we have all the power well you never know because yeah look we are mouthpieces we are i am i'm actually on the committee it turns out as we control the narrative that's what we do yes indeed uh the last little square was oh i don't know ucla going zero two in los angeles san diego state comes out of la utah comes out of salt lake city easily is not how i would describe it but i mean they 
you know. Yeah. Columbus gave him a gave him a good run. I mean, yeah, they had to sweat, but they also didn't have to play an extra game. And now all of a sudden, the great story that is the Utah Utes, they are hosting a super this weekend. Yeah. Definitely one of the big stories of this tournament is that Utah, uh, you know, they've been a little bit under the radar. They they they've played really well in the Pac-12 this year, uh, got some big wins and won the the Pac-12 tournament, solidifying that 15 seed. Uh, but the reason why we don't have an all Pac-12 super uh, is not because of Utah. That's opposite of what I thought was going to happen. I picked Ole Miss good to come out of that regional, uh, but Ole Miss I think just in, ended up running out of gas at the end against a, a really good Utah team. Uh, I thought Ole Miss played well in general. Lexi Brady had a, an outstanding weekend. Um, just missed a, a cycle by a home run and got pinch hit for her before she had an opportunity to hit that home run. So we could not do that. That'd be great. But uh, overall, you know, Ole Miss played well, but Utah had just too much for him. Yeah, and looking at L.A., I mean, we just dissected so much of it with Jen. Looking at it on the flip side, monumentous occasion for Grand Canyon, monumentous night for Liberty, Congrats to Dr. Dot, who I'm sure I know how much this meant to her. And to San Diego State, that's a good team who's been really good for a very, very, very long time, but never quite been able to get over the hump. And with a little help and a little talent, they're there. They're in a super regional. And Tom, of all of the regionals to get through and to have to move on to a super from, I'll tell you what, San Diego State has a good shot to go to OKC, I think. Even other than UCLA, the fact that they were able to beat Liberty and uh, Grand Canyon was was really impressive because UCLA, we talked about with Jen just a little while ago, uh, the fact that they had the toughest overall region as a number two seed uh, was a, a quite a big failing on the uh, part of the committee, and that's something else we can talk about if we want to. But Liberty was playing really, really well, uh, obviously, to beat to beat UCLA. And then San Diego State pretty much handled them in the, in the championship. It wasn't, I mean, it was, Liberty had a couple opportunities, but San Diego State, it, they didn't let them, didn't let the moment get too big for them. They, they just went out there, played their game and handled a really good Liberty team. Yeah. So congrats to Stacey Newman Denise. Well, if you want to go off again on the, uh, on the seating thing, we can, because I, again, am baffled at first off, how, how does geography impact it this much when i look at the palo alto regional long beach state even if we're even if we're going to go full geography and maybe there's a 400 mile thing that i don't know about maybe grand canyon is like 410 away from palo alto who's to say but send long beach to la and send grand canyon to palo alto like even that makes more sense it's still not perfect but I still don't understand how the number two overall seed got the highest RPI and KPI four seed by a decently wide margin. Right. Like I said with Jen, like you could make the argument that Grand Canyon shouldn't have even been a four seed period. They should have been a three seed somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's frustrating because you look at there are certain places where geography apparently matters, but other places it doesn't. Um, and we, we've talked about it a lot, but, at this point, uh, with the sport being at the at the level that it is, if the NCAA has to fly some people a couple extra places, I, I don't think that's too much to ask to properly seed this tournament. And I think more so than the one through sixteen, which is what everybody looks at 
as far as seating wise on whether or not the committee does a good job. It's the two, three, fours that are uh, as important, uh, especially in regional play, obviously, where, you know, we, we've seen some really poor miss seedings that have affected who plays in who plays in those super regionals. Um, and then in the, in the other hand, we've seen a lot of repeats as far as the two, three, fours in different places. Like we just said, Oregon goes to Arkansas for the second year in a row. Uh, that's certainly not a geography situation. San Diego State goes to Los Angeles all the time. I mean, this right. is not new. Yeah, it's, it's it's not fair for some of those type of teams. We talked about a lot. Texas A&M lot, uh, oftentimes gets sent to Norman, you know, Wichita State to Norman, those type of things. Well, I mean, you're making a it tougher for certain teams based on where they are, you know, on the map. It's it's tougher for them to make it uh, out of regionals because they're always going to other pla- to certain places that it's tougher to get out of. We're at the point on this. Yeah, you know, at the sport where we can properly see the tournament one through sixty-four, and we should do it regardless of geography. Yes, we can we can finagle a couple of things to make sure that no one from the same conference is in the same regional. But outside of that, just you know, seed it one through sixty-four. Because if we had the type of missed seedings in the NCAA basketball tournament that we have in the softball tournament, there would be riots in the streets of, of Indianapolis because of it. And I, I think that that needs to be discussed at as much, if not more than the one through 16 is what's who's going to these regionals and why. Mm-hmm. Good point. So Utah and San Diego state will face off this weekend. And that is one of the many supers Tom that we're going to pick in just a bit when we head home. Now, when we pick these, do we have to pick them as where uh, the winner and the number of games? We do. Okay. Because so, why would I let it be easy? What is, know, what we, is that? We don't want that to happen. No. I want to see who can get only one correct. I, I nominate me. So yeah. we'll see what happens though. And it probably will be you. Uh, we'll go over picks and of course off the wall because why not? When we come <laughs> back here on the Out of the Box podcast, we're heading home next. It's time to head home, which Alabama is is doing, but also not doing because they are hosting Supers and not eliminated from the tournament. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury. Tom, not only are you thrilled that Alabama is still playing, but how thrilled are you that we don't have to pack today or tomorrow? Oh, oh my gosh. Could not be more excited about not being on the road as much as we appreciate our friends at Tuscaloosa Ford for providing that car for us to go on the road. Uh, we don't need them this week. So I'm very excited about that. Very excited that the game is on Friday. Just me personally, because there's a concert in Atlanta. I have to take the family to on Thursday. So everything uh, worked out just perfectly for, for me. Y'all have no idea how worried Tom was about this Thursday night thing. Like <laughs> for multiple days and maybe even weeks, we had been discussing this. Right. I knew that. I knew the date of that concert. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is super regional weekend. We don't need to be on the road, and we don't need to be playing on Thursday. We need to be playing because I, I I still want Alabama to to advance. But I, I was very worried, and everything just worked out perfectly. Yeah. So again, that's why 
Gray Robertson committee spy got Alabama as the five seed. Thank you so much. Not only the committee spy, but also the television spy for us to make sure we didn't get that Thursday, Friday, Saturday spot. Yes. Me and Meg. Yes. Texting right now, actually. Our good personal friend, Meg Aronowitz. It's time for picks. Uh, We will pick them all. And like you said in the last segment, Tom, we're going pick a sweep, pick best two out of three, whatever you think is going to be the result. Uh, I have not totaled up regionals picks as of yet, so I'm just going to assume that you won based on most evidence. So, Tom, you will be going first for all of these. Oh, great. Thanks. Good. Yeah, so we begin with the uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday matchup in Tallahassee. The 14 seed Georgia at 3 seed Florida State. Well, looking at this one, obviously it's it's the classic matchup of pitching versus hitting. The, I think the difference, though, might end up being the fact that Florida State, it's it's the other the other ones. You know, Florida State has the pitching and Georgia has the hitting. Florida State has, I think, a little bit more hitting than Georgia has pitching. So I, I think that's going to make it come down to, I think it's going to go three, but I am going to say Florida State will be able at home behind Catherine Sandercock Get a, get a couple wins, and Florida State advances to the World Series. I also have FSU two out of three. The biggest reason for me is that Florida State goes to the World Series every other year. Now, to be fair, the Tony Baldwin stat about when they go one and done in the SEC tournament, that's when they make their runs, which, by the way, we've got lots of rhymes in play here. Uh, sure. th- that is why this will go three, because Georgia is a good team playing well, but – I, I just think that this Florida State offense and this hunger, uh, the experience that they have top to bottom in the lineup and the leadership of Kat Sandercock is going to be enough to get them to supers. Next up, Oregon at Oklahoma State, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Our friends Kevin Brown and Amanda Scarborough will be on the call for this one. I feel as though... Oregon is just playing better than Oklahoma State is right now, and hopefully they'll be – and I think they'll be able to continue that on here in the Stillwater. I think Oregon wins, and I think Oregon wins two straight. Whoa! Tom, has the cold and flu medication gone to your head? It is very possible. Excuse well, me while I take another swig. Perhaps I am sipping on what you're drinking, too. <laughs> not quite. Not quite as much, though. I'm going to go Oregon two out of three. Uh, I do think Oregon's playing better, and I still don't trust Oklahoma State. Like, great job. Nebraska was giving up leads in the seven to everybody that they played right. like yeah. last weekend. And I just – I need to see a little bit more from Kelly Maxwell. I'm still not convinced that all is all, all is right with the Cowgirls. So, I've got the Ducks, two out of three. Next up, nine-seed Stanford at eight-seed Duke. Get out the Scantron – here we go. Who are you picking, Tom? Do they still do the 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 blue books? Do you have the blue packets you have to write your essays and stuff in? They did back in my day, which was four years ago. So, okay. Yes. I assume there are those still available as well uh, at Duke and Sanford. But, uh, yeah, the Battle of the Nerds, <gasps> I am yes, – Sorry, I, I was taken aback. I know. I apologize uh, for offending you. I would say that – this I think this comes down to I gotta say, Tom, Jen made some compelling points earlier about Stanford. She did. And at the risk of going opposite of what Jen Schroeder said, 
Uh, I think the fact that this is at Duke might be one of the big factors in it. Duke just finds ways to win. I'm not, I'm not sure that they're one of the top eight teams in the country, but they find ways to win. I think it goes three, but I think Duke wins two one. I am exactly in step with you uh, for pretty much the same reasons. And I had this in our original bracket picks last week. I need to see more from Stanford against not Florida. I, I just do. If they put up six runs on Cassidy Curtin game one, then I'm in on Stanford maybe being a national championship contender. But as of right now, I haven't seen enough evidence that they can hit Duke, and, and we just know that Duke wins. They Inexplicably at times, they find ways to win, and I think Duke will relish this chance to get to host a Super for the first time in school history, so I've got the Blue Devils. Number 16 seed Clemson at one seed Oklahoma. Is there magic? No. I, I think uh, they Clemson will... Avoid being run ruled once, but Oklahoma wins a two zero. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Okay. Next, yeah. moving on. Like th- this World Series feels like it's going to be like last year. Like a lot of teams playing great games, and then Oklahoma just crushes everybody. And I know that's fun for Sooner fans, for right. people who cover the sport. There's not a lot for us to talk about when that's the result. So I would love to see Clemson be able to put up a fight, and I think that Valerie Cagle is going to do everything she can. It might come down to how John Rittman uses everybody else in that pitching staff. But at the end of the day, the Sooners are the Sooners. They're the most talented team in the country, and they're going to probably run through this fairly easily. Yeah. She's only one person, is Valerie Cagle. Mm. So. I mean, she plays multiple positions, but still right. only one person. Yes. <laughs> All right. It's the ABC game. Texas at Tennessee. What you say, Tom? I'm still percolating. Huh. This is going to be one of the tougher ones to to predict because, uh, like Jen was talking about a little while ago, Mike White teams just know how to do it in the postseason. Tennessee, you know, it's the first time they've gotten out of regionals in a couple of years. So will will that be a factor in this situation? Will the moment become too big? Uh, the one thing about it is Tennessee has a lot of good older leadership that is going to, I think, going to be able to kind of – stifle that it'll come down to i think it comes down to the peyton gotchall game because i think it's going to be for tennessee it's going to be ashley rogers peyton gotchall and then probably ashley rogers in the if necessary game uh but if peyton gotchall can give them uh a victory in game two that game three might not matter i i just i can't pick against tennessee at this point i think tennessee you know too much too much offense to go along with that pitching and I'll go Tennessee, but it'll be two games to one. There was a time this year where there was a type of pitcher that could stymie the Tennessee offense. Now, to be fair, it's been harder to do that of late. But Texas has a couple folks that do the things that te- Tennessee's offense struggles with. Sophia Simpson, Sitlali Gutierrez, Mac Morgan can keep it down in the zone. Like, there are things that Texas can do, and I think – we're going to see something similar to last year when Texas went on the road to take on the SEC champion in supers, not only the regular season, but tournament and found a way true. to win. I didn't think about that part. Texas this year will go on the road against the SEC regular season and tournament champion, Tennessee and win two out of three. Wow. Horns up Tom. Wow. Yeah. Be careful. Up, 
up. Up. Correct. Yes. No consequences for your actions. Uh, well, great video, Texas. Not going to lie. It really was. Really was. Well done. Tip of the cap. San Diego State at 15 seed Utah, Tom. I, I feel as though it, it's kind of a magic carpet ride right now for Utah. They are kind uh, of everything's kind of falling in their in their lap to be able to make it to the Women's College World Series, uh, not having to play UCLA in the Super Regionals, uh, hosting it. I think it works out really well for them. Great story for San Diego State to come out of that uh, number two regional in L.A., uh, but I think it, it ends there. I think Utah wins it two games zero. I've got Utah 2-1. Uh, chatting with Stacy Newman Denise earlier today on the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition, uh, it was interesting to hear their pitching philosophy and how much they do truly utilize a staff in games. Uh, I think that they can do some things that trip up Utah, and I strongly consider picking the Aztecs to win this series. But kind of like what you said, there just seems like there's some fate thing here for Utah, considering how they were seeded in the first place with that run in the Pac-12 tournament to how things have opened up for them after winning their regional. I think we're going to see the Utes in Oklahoma City. I've got Utah 2-1. Next up, let's get crazy. Louisiana at 7-seed Washington. Again, couldn't have had two crazier regional matchups and uh, to set up the Super Regional between Louisiana and C- and Washington out in Seattle. And like I said with Jen, how upset were the Raging Cajuns? They thought they were about to host the Super Regionals in, in, in Lafayette against an in-state team with McNeese, which I'm sure they had all the film on. They played numerous times. They, they were ready to go. And then McNeese collapses, and now they got to go all the way out to Seattle. But that being said, you know, going on the roads hasn't seemed to really bother Louisiana this year. One of the reasons why we thought that they – were probably going to be a seeded team and thought they got hosed by the committee was because, you know, they they played a really tough non-conference schedule that included them going on the road a lot in the non-conference. So I don't think that the atmosphere or the the, the trip out to Seattle is really going to affect them too much. I don't know what you think about that. Well, I just, I'm curious about the rain and the weather and the weird snow not snow things coming down because climate wise, it is a big difference. Oh, for sure. But all that being said, I, I don't think that's going to, it's just going to come down to who's, who's the better softball team. Who's going to be playing the better, playing better at the time. And yes, Washington did have that one really good inning against McNeese. But outside of that, the Cowgirls were able to really shut them down. I think Louisiana is a little bit better than McNeese. I think this is where the upset happens. I'm going to continue to ride the Raging Cajuns. I think they're going to win it 2-1. Interesting. Yeah. This is a total gut check. Total. Just a vibe, a feeling. And sometimes I ride with the vibes, Tom, you know. It's, sometimes sure. we just we just chill out. I've got we Washington hang sweeping. We hang oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. But talking with Salary and Espinosa today, it seemed like that comeback unlocked something in them. And I think the image from the weekend that I can't get out of my head is the post-game interview with Heather Tarr, and all of a sudden she is surrounded by players who are doing a group hug during the post-game interview. I've never seen that. And then you had players coming up and grabbing her, like screaming, we did it. Like I've, I've never seen a team react like that, partially because we've never seen a game play out like that. Right, yeah. But 
I just think this unlocks something. And based on watching that, seeing the reaction, and honestly, what Silent Rain Espinosa said today, it was a it was a heck of a a heck of a recruiting pitch in terms of picking Washington. Uh, I've got the Huskies sweeping. I did want to drop one nugget because we asked Silent Rain about you know you you do this thing, you're playing at home, and then you have to come back out in the bottom of the seventh and finish it off. And she said that she texted Brooke Nelson, the pitcher who finished the game, and they were talking about it. And Silent Rain said, I'm so proud of you. You did amazing. And Brooke Nelson responded, you put up seven runs for me. I can get three outs for you. And that is one of the coolest quotes I've heard in a really long time. Yeah. I mean, I would think if you, if you've ever been a pitcher that like I can, I can get out of this inning. My, my offense just, had a miraculous comeback. I'm not going to allow it to go to waste. So yeah, that's a that's a really cool story. But did did you tell si- Silent Rain that she was an all name winner on the from the Out of the Box podcast? I did not have the chance, but hopefully oh. next time. Maybe when we all see each other in OKC, who knows? Maybe so. We'll either be eating uh, red beans and rice or uh, or talking with Silent Rain, one or the other. Who knows? But it sounds like we both know where we're leaning on the last pick of a night. 12 Northwestern at 5 Alabama. You're speaking of something being unlocked. I think we saw something unlocked for Alabama in the win over Middle Tennessee, and that was Jayla Torrance. And it made the Super Regional not be 100% all about whether or not Montana Fouts can come back or not. Obviously, if you're Alabama, you'd love to have Montana Fouts. I think you have a much better chance if Montana is able to pitch at least one of the games in the Super Regionals for you but i think if for some reason she doesn't or she wasn't able to pitch an entire game or something like that it's not completely woe is me for alabama anymore because of what we've seen from jayla torrance and what has been unlocked here in in postseason play for jayla and i think that kind of that along with yes it wasn't the greatest offensive weekend for alabama in the regional but we saw clutch hitting we we saw Alabama finding a way to do it when it mattered the most. Uh, So I think Alabama is going to be able to fend off Northwestern. And I think Alabama wins it two games to one. I'm picking at that because one thing that we still haven't really seen from Alabama uh, in these type of situations is three really good games in a row. So I think there's going to be a game in there where Northwestern does get a win. Uh, But I think overall, Alabama is just going to find a way and that's that's what they've done all year and that's what they do historically at Road Stadium yeah th- this story ends in OKC it, that's just the way it feels doesn't it and you know to your point Alabama's only lost one super ever at home that's it now it feels like there's a 50-50 ish split between whether Alabama wins in three or in a sweep based on the numbers that I see and I, I've started the prep already maybe against my own need for rest. I have begun prepping for this weekend. I, I think Alabama is going to win this 2-1. I think a big thing that you didn't mention, and you brought up a lot of really important factors that I think will determine how this super goes, uh, it's the atmosphere. And Northwestern's not going to be bothered by the noise or the stage because they've played 
in big places before, but to me, it's the humidity that I think is going to be an issue. And to the people who say, well, they're at Arizona state last year, it's a different kind of heat. Oh, oh yeah. Very different kind of heat. And we are looking at a weekend where based on early predictions, the humidity will be cranked up. So it's going to be sticky. It's going to be gross. It's going to be melt inducing and I think that coupled with the crowd and with a lot of things that Alabama can do in roads to, I think, swing things in their favor, the southern weather is going to be a bit of a predicament. Now, Northwestern, it looks like they've tried to prepare for that, played in a lot of Florida tournaments, did a lot in the non-conference, trying to travel around, but those are all in February and March. This is Alabama in late May. This is not a place for the faint of heart. Yeah. It's all those things that you described there, just the way I like it. And so I think that's just the way Alabama likes it too. So we'll see how that all works out, but hopefully it'll just come down to who, who's the better team. And I think Alabama is just a little bit of a better team than Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Only, only two different team picks and then a couple, you know, length of game differences, but I like what we have. I see it. I feel better about this uh, World Series field than I did about the one I picked last weekend. Totally, because we've actually watched something. We have evidence. Yes, Yes, Yes. indeed. Oh, man. You know, we also have a lot of evidence for lunacy and stupidity. Play the drop. It's time for Off the Wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay, Tom, kick us off. I I wasn't searching out off-the-wall comments because I was just so happy with how everything turned out on Sunday. But I would say some of these are uh, off-the-wall that were uh, earlier on. It was a lot of, I wouldn't say necessarily, because you don't have to agree with everything. As an Alabama fan, though, if you don't have a good, and I, I've talked, said this before, but if you don't have a good feeling or you don't think it's going to work out, there's no need for you to voice that on the Alabama posts. And I think that's what a lot of off the wall is about. Uh, but I think that there are a lot of receipts that will be able to uh, to start showing on people that had very little faith, even though, you know, if, if you've been an Alabama fan for as long as you are proclaiming in a lot of these posts, you will have seen it work out pretty well, you know, when maybe it doesn't look like it's going to at, at some point. Uh, but, you know, the, the post of, uh, I think Jayla's, Jayla's lost her confidence. What what are you basing that on? Uh, you just Clearly you just, incorrect. Right, and you're clearly incorrect. So many different things like that. Again, you can have unexpressed thoughts. If you don't think it's going to work out, keep that to yourself. I think that... A lot of the stuff about Montana this week was not great. You know, a lot of people still putting out fake diagnosis 
listings and rumors. And let me tell you, when you want to know something about Montana, you will hear it from the University of Alabama, from Patrick Murphy or from Montana Fouts. That is that is the yeah. official word. Um, not from us, unless Alabama tells us to say something, which I don't know why we would be selected for that. Uh, unless Because we're their mouthpiece, Gray. I don't know oh, if you do this. That's true. Uh, right. yes, we have all this power. Um, yeah. I, I just, I again would ask people to refrain from speculating about things. Again, here's what we know. Montana was available on Sunday. She was warming up. By how the human body works, it is more likely that Montana will be, at worst, just as available this weekend as she was this past weekend. Now, things could change. You never know. But at worst, she will be just as available, which means there is a chance she could be more available. But that being said, a lot goes into it. PT and all these doctor's visits and I'm, I'm sure plenty of other things that we don't even have somewhat the medical knowledge to know about. And whenever she returns, you will find out. But not only are is this not public because a a lot of people are still trying to figure things out but b it is a competitive advantage against northwestern making them think ah, well if montana doesn't have to go then we do fully have to prep for these other three pitchers because in a montana's fully healthy world then they are studying montana fouts for a full week and maybe taking a glimpse at torrance salter and esman in the current situation, they've got to do a lot more film study on everybody else. 100%. Also, uh, Patrick Murphy didn't just start calling Montana Fouts Artua. That has been something that has, you know, he said for several years. Uh, it has nothing to do with injuries or anything of that nature. So trying to read something else into something that has been said for literally multiple seasons just shows your lack of paying attention. Well, who's surprised considering that, the source? Yeah, in a shocking, yeah, in a shocking development there. Yeah, the other thing that I've got, uh, the lack of giving the opponent credit. And I know it was a mid-major, and I know we talked about this with with Jen. Middle Tennessee played their asses off all weekend long, and in particular, Gretchen Dadgum Mead. I, I want to make sure that we give her her flowers because as statistically good as Jayla was, Gretchen Mead is like, I mean, she was incredible. Two shutout wins of UCA and then befuddling Alabama the way she did on Sunday. A great story, as we talked about earlier. And I think that... Yes, was it frustrating from the Alabama standpoint? Sure, but look at the bigger picture. Gretchen Mead had been, for the most part, untouchable in her last five appearances. Six no-hit relief innings to clinch a conference title when North Texas could have walked it off. All six of those innings is as nails as it gets. She was not phased at all, at all, by the pressure of pitching in a regional final because she had already done something like that to get Middle Tennessee to the NCAA tournament. And before you start bitching and moaning about Alabama not being able to hit, acknowledge the fact that a big reason why Alabama wasn't able to get the hits was because Gretchen Mead was just pitching the best ball of her career, and she deserves a lot of recognition for that. I am really, really impressed with her, and I think it was one of the better stories of regional weekend. If at any point in postseason play you have a scoreless inning streak that's over 18 innings, you're pitching pretty dang well, uh, regardless of what team you're on. Yeah, that's 
but that that's been a an issue that's always an issue the the lack of giving opponent credit at any point but i mean you, when you look at it what is always one of the coolest and things that uh the the best stories of a postseason tournament we see it in basketball softball baseball all these is that mid-major or that underdog that makes a run and, and plays over their head i i don't see it in basketball as much that people just refuse to give them credit where you know say you know a, a power a power team loses in the first round it it's a lot of times there you are giving that team credit but in softball we we don't like to do that and i don't understand why that that's the case i don't know that's all i've got all right yeah it's hard to be again as i said don't complain when we win don't complain in any victory in postseason play in general afterwards it was it was a pretty joyous comment section which i was pretty happy about absolutely well done everyone well done yes and we hope for the same this weekend tom we will be on the air for the first two games for sure hopefully there's a third if we need it but if we don't i'm fine just playing the two and they'll all be available on the crimson tide sports network they certainly will you can listen over the air in tuscaloosa on 97.5 fm or online nick975.com or the me tv 975 app also available on the varsity app as well uh 650 the airtime on friday 750 the airtime on saturday still tbd uh for that if necessary game on sunday should we be playing in that game um but yeah it'll be it'll be a late one but hopefully it'll be a fun one on saturday party at Rhodes. you know have hey get get your go to dinner like make it a day it'll yeah. be a great time come party at Rhodes with us and if you can't make it listen on the radio and we did, it seems, have a lot of people tuning in this weekend, which was really awesome. However, if you do want to tune into a TV broadcast, I don't blame you because Caleb Bro is coming to town. Oh, sure. Yeah, can't, uh, can't, can never get enough of Broski when she comes in. So I'm, I'm excited for Kayla to come in. And also, like you said, a lot of people listen to us on the radio. And a special thank, thanks to the people up in Huntsville that also carried the uh, as an affiliate up there. So... Uh, there's a few people. There's a few other stations. If you're a regular Crimson Tide affiliate, that may be picking it up once we it, here in postseason play. So if you're not in Tuscaloosa and you're trying to listen to the radio, just check if if you are if you listen to a station that normally has Alabama basketball or baseball or football on, just check it to see they may be carrying us here through postseason. Yeah, or the SEC channels perhaps on Sirius XM. There, there's always a shot there as yeah. well. Uh, we will never know about that, so you will they just have to look yourselves. Yeah, they don't tell us. We we, <laughs> we just show up and, and, and talk, so that's all they tell us. Hey, and we also might do some fun little social content this weekend with our friend Caleb Bro, and you can check that out on Out of the Box on Twitter, at Out of the Box underscore pod, or Tom, I'm sure you'll retweet something. Absolutely, T Canterbury RTR on Twitter. Yes, and I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. We cranked out a lot of GoPros and clips and audio. A, a lot of uh, a lot of joyous reacting in the booth this weekend. People were saying before we put it out, they're like, that must be some of the best GoPro footage you have. And I, I was saying, I don't really know what happened. I know at some point, I think Gray tackled me. But I, other that's what that, I was saying to people. Right. I said I tackled Tom. Yes. So, so that there was that. But yeah, there was a, it was a lot of fun, obviously. Uh, but 
we we can't get that good content without the players doing their part. So we appreciate uh, Ali Shipman and Jayla Torrance and everybody else for doing their thing. Yes, Allie, thank you for your service. Yes. Callie Hevlin's like, I love the GoPro, and I'm like, keep hitting home runs. Right. That's Yes. We, we, we can't make good GoPro unless you guys do stuff. So, And again, as I said, I also like to eat cereal when I've done something good. Maybe the most popular comment of the weekend. I had people quoting that to me all, all day Saturday and Sunday. I was like, what in the world is going on? Who knew? Shockingly, Tom with a food reference was the most popular. That's what came through. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Supers this weekend. There's a lot of softball coming up. Starts on Thursday. Alabama Northwestern begins on Friday. And don't forget Saturday, Texas and Tennessee on ABC at 2 o'clock Central Time. This is the best time of the year that gets even better because we are less than a week away from finding out the eight teams that will be in OKC. But like you mentioned, it, it's amazing how quickly it gets w- uh, windled down. By Saturday, we half the field was gone. Now three-fourths of the field is gone, and we're going to get those eight teams uh, by Sunday. Indeed, we will. And we'll be talking about it all on the next edition of the Out of the Box Podcast. From our partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Thanks to Jen Schroeder for joining us. We will see you at Rhodes. Pack it out. Let's party. A trip to the World Series is on the line. We'll see you next time, everybody.